Welcome to Profiles in Prosperity, the leading podcast for residential service contractors, sponsored by Service Roundtable and hosted by David Heimer. Hi, this is David Heimer. Welcome to Profiles in Prosperity. Patrick Lang is the founder and owner of the Business Modification Group. He focuses on helping HVAC business owners sell their businesses. Given the significant presence of private equity firms buying HVAC and plumbing companies, I think this is a very timely conversation. So, Patrick Lang, welcome to Profiles in Prosperity. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. I'd like to explore how you got into this. You used to own and operate an HVAC company. How did that happen? Yeah, so kind of a twisted story. I've, I've owned a lot of businesses over the years, and I've been a business broker for probably 14 or 15 years now. And I listed a heating and air company for sale, and I bought it. And I've ran it for a little over two years. So I guess that's probably been six years ago now. And after running it for two years, I realized that I didn't belong running a heating and air company and was going to sell it. And my oldest son worked for me at the time. And I told him that he was about to have a new employer. I was going to sell the company. And he said he really liked the industry, really liked the business and wanted it. And so he bought me out. So when I did that, I was still doing business brokerage and running the heating and air company at the same time. It was a small company. And I, I really miss brokerage. And at the time, when I was looking up valuations on heating and air companies and where it should be selling for and what it was worth, I couldn't find a lot of people who were helping people out, specifically in the, we'll call a main street size company. So companies be doing between a million to say five or $6 million in sales. There wasn't a lot of information, a lot of people. And so at that time, I made the decision to switch my business brokerage practice, which up until then I'd sold everything, bars, restaurants, gas stations, flower shops, you name it, and decided to focus just on heating and air. So that's probably been four, a little over four years ago. And I was just initially in Florida. Then it kind of expanded through the Southeast and now I'm nationwide. Yeah, fantastic. And it's really interesting. I mean, since you've been in this industry, you've probably seen the EBITDA multiples grow quite a bit. I mean, I think that five, 10 years ago, a typical EBITDA multiple was something like three to four for a smallish company. And I've seen them take off quite a bit since then. Has that been your experience with it as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, depending on what part of the country it was in, really four years ago when I got started, a company that was their net income or seller discretionary earnings was 100,000 to say 200,000. They were averaging only a two time multiple. And so at the lower end of the market, it's come up. Uh, certainly not nearly as much as bigger companies have because of the private equity uh, push and, and influence, but it's really, it's helped everybody across the board looking at selling. Yeah, I think it's great. I always thought that the three to four multiple was too low for what the businesses were worth. So I'm really happy to see that increase. Is there anything that that are that we should know that you haven't covered already about business modification group? You know, we're here to help people and I and I try to be a resource for those who haven't already. I have a YouTube channel where I do videos about buying and selling in the space and I write articles obviously for a lot of industry publications. I'm on this podcast with you and I've recently become a member of Service Roundtable and and so I try to give as much information as I can and and I really try to be a resource for people. When I sold my first company, you know, I didn't know where to go. 
And so most people don't know who to talk to or who to ask questions of or where to get unbiased information. So I really try to put that out there as much as I can. I try to participate in podcasts like these where I could answer people's questions, other coaching organizations, other things that we do. We we try to do it with the, the mentality of giving as much information as we can so that people know what their options are. Because most people, the reality is they work for 20 or 30 years and they pick their head up and now it's time to sell and they don't know where to go or who to talk to. Exactly. That's a great observation. Let's talk about that. What should HVAC business owners consider when they want to sell their business or if they're thinking sometime in the future that they want to sell their business? Well, I think the reality is putting yourself in a buyer's shoes. You know, if you were a buyer, what would you be looking for? I have a lot of people who've been incredible technicians and have never hired staff because they either couldn't find staff or or didn't trust people working alongside them or for them. And so nobody calls me, no buyer calls calls me and says, hey, I want to work 16 hours a day and then go home at night and do paperwork for five hours. And so <laughs> so if you if you put yourself in the mind of a buyer, would would you want to buy your business? And so I, I and, and I tell a buyer to do the same thing, you know, put yourself in a seller's shoes, what they're doing, what they're looking at. But really, if you're looking at selling, buyers are looking at consistency of income. They're not looking to buy a job. They're not looking to work as hard as most people work in the trades. And so positioning your business to that point that you wouldn't want to sell it is really the best advice I can give. If you had staff in place and and had systems in place and charged what you should be charging and had recurring revenue and had all these things that obviously a lot of great coaches in the industry to preach about, then you wouldn't necessarily want to sell. But if you work seven days a week, 20 hours a day, well, you may not have a business. You probably have a high paying job. Yeah. That's exactly right. Nobody wants to buy your job. Right. <laughs> and and you wouldn't either. That's that's why so many people are wanting to sell, I think. You know, it's it's a lot of work. And so kind of solving the problems that are happening in the industry as best you can will make your business more attractive. So what are some common mistakes business owners make when they sell their businesses? I think a lot of it's leading up to the sale. Like you had just mentioned, you know, what should you be planning for? You know, I see a lot of people who are, how do I say it politely, creative on their accounting. You know, they do the best they can to to minimize their taxes. And, and I tell people jokingly, but you can't get paid to steal twice. You you can't take money from the federal government, and not pay your taxes and expect somebody to write a check for it. And so a lot of people treat their business checking account like it's their their personal checkbook. And so they pay a lot of personal expenses out of it, or maybe all the cash doesn't make it on the books, those types of things. And buyers certainly don't feel comfortable, just like you wouldn't, paying you for it. So really planning it. And and once again, a lot of people, when they call me, you know, they're kind of done. They, they've already they've made the decision yeah. they're going to retire. And sometimes it's too late, meaning they were doing $2 million, $3 million, whatever, two years before, and now, as they've started to slow down, their business is doing a million or 800,000 or 500,000 in sales. And then they call me and they want me to sell it based on the 3 million sales they were doing three years ago. Well, unfortunately, a buyer is not going to pay you for what it used to do. They're paying you what, for what it does now. So having that plan of, hey, I'm going to retire in a few years and I'm going to make sure my books are clean and I'm going to make sure that business is either growing or at least remaining consistent and having a plan to do it. Because for most people, it's the biggest sale of their life. And mm-hmm. they don't spend much time thinking about it, aside from, I don't know what to do, instead of putting a plan in place. And so my suggestion is, you know, if you can start planning a year or two or three or five years ahead of time, so you make sure all your ducks are in a row. 
So set sort of a time. I mean, it's hard for people to think about this stuff, but it feels like they should be saying something like five years from now or at this date, I want to sell the company and I would like it to be this size. I would like it to be making this much profit and therefore I should probably be able to generate this much in the sale price. Is that sort of how you would recommend people think about it? Absolutely. And and knowing what the figure needs to be for you. I mean, I think that's a great place to start is how big does a check have to be? You know, what are you going to need to do to achieve your retirement goals if if retirement is is what the ultimate plan is? And so then working backwards from there, I have a lot of people call me and say, here's where my business is at. I want to retire in five years. What do I need to do to get to X amount of dollars? And we quickly design a little plan for them. And then I say, touch base with me next year and the year after, and, and let's make sure you're on pace. So I'm happy to do that and work with people and, and help them plan that. But really, it's starting off, what does it need to be? Because we hear all these talks about multiples yeah. and everybody everybody hears at all the conventions, somebody stands on stage and says, oh, they're, you know, they got a 15 time multiple. Well, well, that's not everybody. You know, I mean, that's a very specific company that are getting these huge, often ridiculous, I would say, multiples that some people are paying. So they're sitting back thinking that's them. And I would absolutely start looking at where's a company your size really going to sell at in today's market. Now, that's going to change in the next three to five years, obviously, but at least it'll give you an idea. And then getting your ducks in a row, making sure your books are and records are clean, making sure you understand what a buyer's looking for. Doing that planning really can translate not only to a bigger check, but a bigger comfort level, I think, when you cross the finish line. Yeah. When people sell their businesses, in my personal experience with two separate companies, the companies were sold very profitably because there were multiple buyers that were interested. In one case, there was a bidding war, essentially. that drove the sale up of the company significantly. In our industry, are you able to attract multiple buyers for the same company? Absolutely. You know, a lot of it depends on the company itself and its location and the makeup of the business? Is it, do they focus on new construction or is it all service and repair? And do they have clean books and records? And do they have management in place and the size of the company? So all of those things go into it, but absolutely that's a, it's an opportunity in today's market. And, and I tell people the beauty of today's market being so strong is, is you don't have to sell to a jerk. For many people, this is their legacy. This is what they've raised their kids in. This is all they've known. And because of the competitiveness in the market, you don't have to sell it to somebody who you don't think is going to be a good steward of your legacy. Yeah, that's a great point. So tell me how you would position your company. You told me the factors a little bit, where you're located, cleanliness of the books, the size of the company. Those are the things that attract multiple buyers. But can you be more specific, like what sort of geographic locations are most attractive? Is it cities, rural, et cetera? And then something about the size of the company that attracts multiple buyers. Yeah, absolutely. Buyers, especially bigger buyers with uh, with all the PE interest that's taken place lately, they love places with people. So bigger cities and areas that are growing that you can service more people than you're currently serving. 
you know, many people dominate a smaller area and they'll have, you know, 20% of the market share. Well, many buyers look at that and think, well, there's not much room for growth. So they like bigger areas with more people to get to. That doesn't mean that they're not interested in smaller areas. I sold one this week in the Florida Panhandle, which really is not that big of an area, but it's a wealthy and growing area. And and so it created a tremendous amount of buyer interest. Buyers love service and repair. They feel warm and fuzzy about maintenance agreements, knowing that you're going back and developing a deeper relationship with that customer in the home more often. And it's truly a relationship business. They're scared to death of new construction, obviously for many reasons, but the reality is most contractors are not loyal. And anybody who's been around the industry for any length of time knows either themselves or other people who've been crushed by market downturns they were focusing on new construction. So yep. that scares them. Clean books and records. And then the size part is not necessarily a size. So it doesn't need to be 10 million in sales or 5 million in sales, but a company that's big enough where there's people in place where it's not just the owner where it's not just the owner's name and the owner's not out turning wrenches because many of the buyers today don't have heating and air experience. They're great business people, but they can't fix an air conditioner. And so they're looking to acquire businesses where they don't have to be a technician, that they can be a manager or supervisor or put somebody in place to do it. And and really, in order to do that, you have to be doing some volume in order to have different levels of management, whether it's a service manager or an install manager or operations manager or GM, something like that. Obviously, you have to be doing the volume in order to support those staff members. And so that's why typically a bigger company has more buyer interest is because it opens it up to a bigger pool of buyers. It's not just one of your competitors in the next town over that's looking at expanding into your area. It could be somebody from New York or LA or Atlanta or some other town across the country that doesn't need to be a great technician and is not doesn't need to be the face of the company. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. It's great information. You know, I know a lot of people that have sold their businesses, and I would say that a lot of them have really only entertained offers from one company. One company came in and said to them, hey, we're interested in buying your business. And so they talk with them and they come to an agreement. And I mean, agreements can be really good. But I always think that they should have contacted somebody like you and should have tried to see if they can't get other companies interested in it because, you know, it's just going to drive the cost up. It should. Yeah, I think competition is a good thing. And once again, as I said earlier, for most people, this is the biggest sale of their life. So at least have somebody looking over your shoulders, seeing if that offer that they're presenting to you is a good offer. You know, if I sell an average of 20 heating and air companies a year, I'd look at a lot of deals. So even if they're not my deal, I can look over somebody's shoulder and say, you don't have to like me and you don't have to hire me, but you could get a much better deal than you're getting. Or, hey, that seems like a good deal at least knowing that because you're the exception to the rule, David, but most people only do it one time. You know, they get one chance and they have one sale. And oftentimes they do it when they're, you know, in their 50s or 60s or 70s and don't want to go back and and rebuild another company. And so this is it. This is cashing in their chips. And so if you haven't done it before, once again, whether it's me or somebody else, and I'm not here to stand on my soapbox and say, you need to call me, call somebody else who has experience in the heating and air space and looks at a lot of deals because the market's changing all the time and making sure your number is a good number is important. 
Yeah, that's good. So do you do any classes or coaching for people that are thinking about selling their business? So I do a lot of speaking engagements where we talk about stuff and kind of have one-on-one interaction where people ask questions. I don't really do any coaching. Obviously, there's an incredible amount of excellent coaches out there. And so I'm not the guy to tell somebody how to grow their business and what they should be focusing on. So I can tell you what a buyer's looking for. I can tell you what'll help make the transaction better. So I find that I leave the coaching to the experts like you. And I come into a lot of coaching organizations and a lot of speaking opportunities and a lot of conventions and kind of give a state of the market. And here's what you should be focusing on. And here's the things I can look at and kind of Q&A. You know, as I mentioned, I do a lot of YouTube videos and my big biggest problem with them is I do this all day, every day. And so to me, something that seems second nature, I don't know that somebody's sitting in their office right now thinking, wow, I wonder how this works, or I wonder what that is. Somebody will call me and ask me a question. And I'll think, wow, I bet you other people have that question. So let me do a video on that. And so my biggest problem with it, aside from I don't like staring at myself in a camera the, the whole time I'm doing the video, aside from that part is, you know, kind of what do I talk about? So I I always tell people, my cell phone number's plastered everywhere. Call me, email me, text me. I'm more than happy to answer questions to point people in the right direction. And if I'm not the guy for them, I understand that. I'm not right for everybody. I'll point them to other people. I work with other brokers in the industry who are very good at what they do, and I'm happy to to help introduce them to them. So I don't necessarily sit down and say, here's what you should do with your business because I'm not that person. But I do try to speak and say, here's some things to look at. So when a company is sold, what is the most common scenario for the business owner, the person who just sold the business? Do they stay on for a while? What are non-competes typically look like? Give me a little information about that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk the non-compete first. I mean, that's obviously up for negotiation. Typically, I see is three years, 50 miles, three years, 100 miles, something along those lines. I find that, and I've heard different stories from attorneys that much more than that becomes unenforceable. And keep in mind, many of my sellers, you know, are done. So they're retiring. You could give them a 20-year, 2,000-mile non-compete, and they're, they're okay with it because, because they're, they're never going to pick up a set of gauges again. So for them, it doesn't matter. Now, for the others who are building something to sell and planning on doing it again somewhere else, then it becomes important. But that's typically not the bulk of my sellers. They're more of just people who've been in business for 20 or 30 years and are, are ready to take their chips off the table and go home. So that's negotiable, obviously. Everything in the transaction is, but three year 50, three year 100 miles is pretty real. On to the sticking around in time frame. You know, it's kind of weird. I spoke at an event earlier this year and there's, a, there's another great company who does a lot of heating and air companies and they spoke in the room before I did and then I spoke after them and they told everybody how you need to plan on sticking around for a year or two and I got to and spoke and I told them the exact opposite. So I really, I think it depends on who you're selling it to. And it depends on what's important to you. Once again, right now, specifically the upper end of the market, there's so much competition. You know, a company doing $5 million in sales and above, there's almost a waiting list of buyers. So you can dictate more what that transition looks like. This last 12 months, I sold 20 companies. Five of them were big companies doing over, let's call it $8 million in sales, eight to 10 million in sales. Five of them were over that and were sold to private equity. None of those buyers stayed. 
they were gone in under 30 days. Um, the other 15, I think the average stick around time was probably 30 days as well. Typically, you see more on the private equity side, they want the seller to stay because much of the private equity firms either don't have heating and air experience or don't have direct heating and air experience. So they need somebody to kind of help run the company and guide the ship. Some of them are doing that also with, uh, they're calling it the second bite of the apple, getting people to yep. stick around and, and leaving some money on the table. My sellers this last year didn't want to do that. And yeah. so when we go to market, we say, here's our price. It's all cash. And 30 days later, we won't be here. And that's what's happened. But I know a lot of companies, a lot of sellers who've agreed to a year or two that they weren't done. They just recognized the market's pretty high right now and they didn't want to miss out on it. And they wanted to sell in the next year or two. I thought, well, I can take my chips off the table and stick around and still have a job that pays pretty well and the potential for another home run on another sale. I'm kind of the contrarian when it comes to that. I look at a lot of the private equity and, and hopefully I don't offend people by saying this, but you know, a lot of these private equity firms have no heating and air experience whatsoever. And many of them don't have any business experiences whatsoever. It's a Harvard graduate who got his MBA and, and is great on business, smart, sharp guy and is great at raising money. But I, I really believe specifically in heating and air, it's a people business. And you have to know how to deal with people and doing that from a boardroom 10 states away, I think can be challenging. And, and my crystal ball works as well as anybody else's, but obviously the market goes up and the market goes down. We've had some pretty good years in the heating and air space the last couple of years. And at some point they won't be as good. And my fear is that 25 year old kid who's never run a company going to be the person to navigate through some challenging times and still be profitable. So if I'm betting my retirement, I don't know that I'm betting on that guy. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's a perfect explanation. I appreciate that. This has been terrific. If somebody wanted to contact you and learn more about your services, what would be the best way for them to contact you? Multiple ways. I, I'm on all social media, Facebook, LinkedIn. I've got a YouTube channel, as I mentioned. Google search me, Patrick Lang, L-A-N-G-E, and obviously my company's business modification group. And my phone number is 352 440 4604. They can call me. They can email me. They can visit my website. They can watch my videos. They can ask me questions. Anything that I can do to help. The reality, it helps myself, you know, so it's kind of selfish. If, if I help your company do better and you want to sell in five years from now and you come to me, then it's going to help me as well. So it's double serving in that. And But I really, I've sold my own company. It was the hardest decision I ever made. The first company that I ever sold. It was the scariest thing. So I've kind of been there and I know how scary it is. And so I'm happy to answer any question that I can for anybody if I can help out in any way. Great. So would you give us your phone number one more time? Absolutely. 352-440-4604. Well, Patrick, thank you so much. This has been so informative and so interesting. And I'm looking forward to talking with you more in the future. And I, I know our members and the people that are listening to this podcast will get great value out of this. So thank you so much for doing this with us. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. We're always looking for good ideas and interviews for our podcast. If you have an idea or maybe you think you should be interviewed, just shoot an email to profilesinprosperity at serviceroundtable.com. That's profilesinprosperity at serviceroundtable.com. If you think what we're doing has any value, it would be very helpful if you would give us a great rating on iTunes. Thanks for your support. Hope to see you again soon. Bye.